0: Well, hi. I'm Kristen Sixena. I'm really ex- oh, nice to meet you too. Uh, I'm really excited to be here. I actually think this is a super cool program, and I think it's awesome that you guys are here. Um, you know, I mean, you guys know better than anyone that parenting is really hard. But I always commend anybody who wants to make the extra effort to get a little bit of extra information and do the best job that they can. So. I'm hoping that I can provide a little bit of information to you guys. Um, the topic that I'm gonna to talk to you guys about today is, well, first I guess I should I should mention, um, I also do a podcast. It's called Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. And so, we are recording an episode of the podcast right now. So, we can get you guys the information too if you ever want to listen to it on the podcast as well. But that's why we've got a camera crew and I'm all mic'd up. So, um, okay, so what I wanted to present to you guys today is my 10 tips for feeding success. Um, And again, I just wanted to first kind of let you know a little bit about me. So um, I am married to my high school sweetheart, and we have four kids. My kids are now 14, 12, 10, and 8. Um, I am a pediatrician, and I've also been on the board of directors for the Child Saving Institute for a number of years. So this place is really a place that's near and dear to my heart. Um, My husband and I run a nonprofit family foundation in town as well, where we help um, local organizations, specifically organizations that are helping children in the Omaha area. Um, As I mentioned, I do the podcast, Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. And then I call this my fifth trial because I've been working on it forever. I actually have a book coming out that's on the same topics that we're going to cover today. So if if any of this interests you, um, I hope that you'll look. This spring it should be out and available, um, and it's called The Happier Meal: How to Enjoy Your Food and Your Kid. <clears throat> so um, I would say, in clinic as a pediatrician, I found. Almost every single parent that came to my office for a well check had some concerns about the way their child was eating. And it was, you know, whether they were like a newborn and they were worried, you know, are they eating enough? Um, Anywhere from high schoolers, high school athletes, um, everything, you know, almost every parent always had some question about how their child was eating. And I think it's important to also note that feeding and food are really they're really things that are closely tied to our emotions. So if you think about like a newborn baby, the first experience that they have, like attaching or any experience of love from another human being is usually through feeding. So it makes sense. Like your brain is literally wired to have this emotional attachment that comes with feeding. And I think as parents as well, you know, if you think about back when you know we were hunting and gathering for our food and nobody knew where their next meal was coming from it was it was a very stressful situation as a parent to make sure that your child was getting food to eat so i think somewhere in our brain we're all still wired to kind of have this stress and anxiety but also this very emotional attachment to the way we feed ourselves and the way we feed our kid so you know, like I said, almost everybody in clinic would come in with some concern about the way they were, their kids were eating. And the most common concerns we'd see were picky eaters. So I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but I had a lot of parents that were worried that their kids were picky eaters. Um, not eating enough. So a lot of times that was like the younger kids, it's a common concern of people with new babies. And we're always stressed, are they getting enough to eat? Um, people that were worried, were: is my kid eating too much or are they getting overweight or obese? Um, Or, you know, especially people with older kids starting to worry, is my child developing an eating disorder or am I noticing signs of an eating disorder? So what I wanted to share with you was what I've kind of come up with as my 10 tips for feeding success. And what it doesn't mean that your child won't be a picky eater, you know, will eat just the right amount, won't develop an eating disorder, but it they are tips that I think set a framework that makes those things less likely and a lot more manageable. So my very, very first tip is um, family meals. And you could say I'm almost obsessed with family meals. Um, And so if there's just one thing that you could take away from this whole talk, it would be just to sit down and eat with your child as much as possible. And Family meals don't have to be this, like, formal scenario. Family can be defined however. Everybody's family is different, right? But essentially, all all I use to define what is a family meal is, again, just sitting together with your child, facing each other, which I know you have a four-month-old, so it's a little different when they're just a tiny baby, but... um, Sharing the same food and not having distractions, like not having the TV on, iPads, phones, all of that. We're all guilty, but like those are what I consider a family meal, okay? And the reason I say this, and I know, you know, I think we we kind of... Um, advertise this as like a nutrition talk. And I'm honestly not going to talk that much about what food your child should eat. I think we all know, you know, like fruits and vegetables are good for you and Cheetos are less good for you. I mean, most of us kind of know the basics, right? But it's hard to get it to happen in in practice. So the reason that I'm so excited about just this idea of eating with your child is because the benefits are, are, are astronomical if you actually look into the research. To me, this is probably, as a parent, maybe one of the very best things that you can do for your family. So for kids, if you look at the research, kids that have more family meals experience less depression, less anxiety, less substance abuse, they're less likely to develop eating disorders or obesity, less likely to smoke. They tend to score better in levels of resilience and self-esteem do better in school, um, have better vocabulary. So one of my very favorite studies about the power of the family meal is they studied um, preschoolers and their reading readiness for when they got to kindergarten. And they found that the preschoolers that had more family meals had better reading readiness in kindergarten. And what was crazy is that it was a better predictor having family meals was a better predictor of being ready to read in kindergarten than even being read to by your parents, which I thought is crazy. And I'm not suggesting people don't read to their kids. Of course, that's wonderful. But it's crazy to think that actually just having them sitting next to you and talking to them at dinner actually prepares, prepares them more for reading and having a better vocabulary. And they think that the reason for that is really that When you're just sitting there talking, you're actually exposed to more rare words and more um, complex storylines than your average children's book. If you think of your average children's book, it's like, you know, Bob went up, Joe went down. And of course, those are great. But the conversations that they're being exposed to just... At the, at the dinner table or sitting with you to eat are much more complex and actually help them to be better um, readers. And then, you know, through all that you notice I haven't even really talked about food, but they do, kids that have more family meals do tend to have better, healthier eating habits and better nutrition profiles. The best part too is that there's actually a lot of benefits that we see in parents who participate in family meals with their kids. They also tend to have better nutrition, they tend to eat more fruits and vegetables, less fast food, um, do less dieting themselves, and tend to have healthier uh, BMIs as well. Uh, Parents participating in family meals tend to have better self-esteem and less depression as well. So to me, I can't think of a lot of other things that I could do just like on a daily, regular basis, that could have all of those wonderful things happen, not only for my kids, but for myself. Um, And so to me, that's my one big takeaway. If, If there's anything, it would be to sit down and just eat with your kids more often. My second tip is to have some structure to your meals and snacks. So the next couple slides are really kind of what helps you make those family meals happen and what helps you make them Less less stressful and actually work. So the idea here is really just to have a loose uh, schedule, like kind of a regular schedule that you follow for feeding your kid, and that will depend on your own daily schedule and of course the age of your kid. But for for a preschool age kid, that might be you know breakfast, morning snack, lunch, afternoon snack, dinner. Let's just say. And the idea is just to figure out what works for you and kind of stick to it. So what happens with that, and the other thing is to actually sit down and have the meal or snack. Even if it's just, you know, morning snack, we sit for five minutes, you eat your snack and you're off. That's fine. Um, But basically having it like a distinct time, like we're gonna focus on our food and just hanging out and then it's back to whatever else we were doing. And when you do this and then you provide this food at regular intervals, it does a lot of things. Number one, your child starts to know what to expect. They get in a routine, and kids actually like routine. Um, you know, that structure gives them a sense of security. All is right when the world, with the world when things are just kind of going the way I expect them to. The other thing is, is as a parent, it actually is less stressful if they don't eat at some particular meal or snack. Because you know, in two hours, we're going to be eating again, right? So I sit down, I give you the breakfast. Maybe you don't have a breakfast person. They don't eat anything. It's like big deal. You know, we're going to eat again at snack time. And it also gives you the leverage to like not feel bad when 10 minutes after breakfast, they're like, but I'm hungry now. They, They will know the routine and you'll be like, well, I'll see you at snack, right? We'll get this stuff back out at snack time. The other thing is it helps you avoid what we call grazing. So people of all ages can get into this grazing pattern of eating where you kind of like eat all day and sort of snack as you go. And when you stop doing that, it ends up making your sit-down meals and snacks more successful because your kid actually comes to the meal with an appetite. Because a lot of parents will fall into the trap where it's like, you know we're drinking milk and munching cereal all day and then when i made this meal and i wanted you to eat it well it shouldn't be any surprise really that they weren't hungry because i've just been snacking 24 7 basically up till this time Um, the other thing to think about especially for kids is that that practice can actually be really bad for their teeth so if you think about the fact that either you're drinking milk or juice um, or munching on things all day, what happens is that creates sugar coat and acid on on those kids' teeth. And kids' teeth, the enamel, on their teeth is actually even thinner than we have as adults. So what will happen is it'll make a lot more prone that they'll get cavities. Um, so we see that a lot of times too, especially kids that are prone to cavities anyway, get in this grazing behavior and they end up with a mouthful of cavities. Um, and then like, kind of like I alluded to before, what happens a lot of times is maybe, you know, milk or, or the snacky foods that they've been kind of munching on all day in your heart of hearts aren't really the foods that you wish that they would be eating and aren't really the most nutritious foods that they could be eating. So they end up just filling up on the snacks and the milk and not really eating the foods that you wish them to eat when you sit down at your meals. The third one um, is what I like to say, stay in your lane. And it's something we call the division of responsibility in feeding. and it's a lot harder than it sounds. I feel like when I spell this out, you'll go, oh, that sounds good, but it's actually kind of hard in practice. But I will tell you, this is what will eliminate the battles at mealtime. So basically what it is, is that parents have one set of jobs in feeding and kids have another set of jobs. That's how I like to think about it. And the parent's job is to decide what we're gonna eat, when we're gonna eat and where we're gonna eat. And the kid's job is to decide how much they're gonna eat of what you offered and whether they're gonna eat it at all. And so for a lot of us, this is not necessarily how we were raised. I know this isn't how I was raised. My parents were like, you know, I was kind of like, my parents were like, you're gonna sit there till you finish your dinner. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anyone else. And I, I mean, have I ever said these things to my kids? Yes, I have. But I will tell you that if, if you keep this framework, it actually takes a lot of the stress and the struggles that you see at mealtime. Um, and, if, and over time you learn too, there is actually no winner in the mealtime battles, right? So either what happens, I think, is that you, you know, if you're like, you're gonna sit here until you finish your broccoli, child yells and screams and cries, and either I give in and just say, fine, whatever, just go, and so all my kid has learned is, perfect, I know all I need to do is just stick to this crying and screaming and eventually, I don't have to eat that broccoli and I'm out of here. So I lost, right? And he didn't eat the broccoli. Or, you know, basically I sit and I yell and I scream and I cry, or they yell and scream and cry, but I'm like, you're gonna eat the broccoli, you know, they shovel it down. And really, what, all I have taught them was, you know, eat more than you're hungry for. Uh, you know, eat what you don't want to eat. And then, then we all wonder why as adults, you know, like, why did I sit here and eat all of this? I wasn't even hungry. Well, maybe we've been conditioning ourselves to do this since we were this big. So there's really no no winners in these battles. So the other thing is, is like, kind of like I said, kids are actually born intuitive eaters. I don't know if you guys have heard. I feel like that's like a buzzword that people use on the internet a lot. That's intuitive eating, you know, listening to your body and it will tell you what it needs and how much it needs to eat. And, you know, you can see all these people signing up for internet courses to become an intuitive eater. Um, but actually, I would say that the only intuitive eaters you really see are what I say are breastfed babies, and that's because nobody really knows how much they're eating, and so we can't interfere with them that much. So kids are actually much better at listening to their bodies and knowing when they're hungry and they're full than most of us are as adults. And by following the division of responsibility and kind of doing your jobs and letting the child do their jobs, you actually allow them to listen to their to their body's cues and hopefully maintain that skill as they get older and so this does include things like no bribing no begging and no bargaining but if you think about it um you know that's again where all of the mealtime battles come so i have to come and say if you think about what are the battles so the battles are when somebody gets in somebody else's lane either the kid is like i'm not going to eat this and the parents make make them a different meal, for example, right? So now I'm a short order cook, I have four kids and I'm making four different dinners and I'm mad at everyone, right? Like, cause this sucks. Um, so they've essentially gotten into my lane and now I'm miserable. Or, you know, I tell them, you have to eat as much as I tell you you're gonna eat and they're miserable, right? So if, if we just say, all right, here, I'm gonna do my jobs, you're gonna do yours and we're not even going to get in each other's faces and we're just going to enjoy the meal. All right. So, (laughs) so number four is know what's normal. So actually, one of the hardest parts about kids is they're always changing. Like you think you've kind of like gotten to a rhythm, you've gotten them figured out, and all of a sudden it feels like they wake up one day and it's like, he used to eat everything and now he won't eat anything. You know, he used to eat all the time and now he doesn't eat anything, I'm worried. So appetite and eating eating habits often do change over a predictable pattern as kids get older. You know, we see Kids that would eat everything often will become more picky as toddlers and preschoolers. You know, kids that used to seem like they eat a lot are growing through a high growth phase. And then when we get kind of into those early school years, that slows down. So it might feel like I feel like he's existing on air, like he doesn't eat anything at all. Um, But if you if you go see your pediatrician. They can make sure, you know, is your child growing and developing according to the normal milestones? And I think that can help to quell some of the concerns that you have where you're like, well, it feels like you're not eating, but it looks like you're still growing according to the way that you should be growing. The other thing is, like I said, picky eating can be a really normal developmental phase. So I always like to think about it you know, it seems like when, when you're first feeding your baby and you're introducing all the solids, a lot of times people will be like, oh, they loved everything pretty much. You know, they beat all these wonderful things. And then as they start to get into the toddler phase, all of a sudden it's like they won't, they don't want to eat anything. So I always think about it like, you know, back when we were cavemen, uh, you know, when you were just carrying your baby around, it was safe because you could pick and decide what was that baby going to eat. But it makes sense, actually, once they start to be mobile and toddling around, it isn't actually safe for a human being to want to eat everything. It's more safe for them to be very suspicious about things that look weird or smell weird and not eat them, right? Because if we, if we were built like that, we wouldn't have made it this far along because we all would have eaten poisonous things and died as toddlers, basically. So it makes sense. So I always like to think, okay, this is annoying, but it actually means that my child is developing normally. The key is, is what we do as parents, we can either reinforce that and say, well, he only eats these five foods, so I only feed him these five foods, and all that does is reinforce that picky eating, Um, or we can, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, we can can put in some best practices since we're deciding what's happening at meal and snack times um, to help not reinforce that, to help them get more comfortable with trying more foods. The other thing I would say, though, is to trust your instincts because it is always comforting to go to your doctor and make sure that they're growing well, they're developing normally, but at the same time, you're with that kid all the time. And so if you go to the doctor and you're like, I just feel like something's wrong. um, you know, Maybe this isn't just simple picky eating. Maybe they have an allergy. Maybe they have a stomach problem. If you aren't getting the answers that you think feel right, Stick with it. Trust your instincts. I always do say, I do believe mom knows best. And so I, I mean, even as patients, I've said, well, it looks like things are normal, but you can see when they're like, something's wrong with my baby. then I'm like, if you say something's wrong with your baby, something's probably wrong. So we need to look further. So trust your instincts. Um, tip number five is, Plan to succeed. Now this looks very, I'm not suggesting everybody needs to make this like fancy weekly meal plan. I think this is like very type A if you ask me. But I would say a little planning goes a long, long way. And it actually reduces stress, saves you time, and saves you money. So the first thing I tell people is to just start with what you do now, but write it down. Even if it's just like on a notes app in your phone, that way, you know, you can just look at your at your week and say, you know, this is, even if it's like Fridays, we do pizza, you know, Tuesdays, we go to my mom's, whatever it is, just write it down. Because you know what? It's one less decision that you have to make in a day. And I feel like as parents, especially by the end of the day, sometimes it's just exhausting. And the worst thing you want to do is like walk in the door from wherever you've been all day and everyone's hungry and everyone's tired. And now it's like, what's for dinner, right? If you just have a plan, you can just be like, ugh, I know what's for dinner, right? I know. The other thing too is that in this, in this scenario, I like to say, you know, one family, one meal. And that's where we get into this idea of not becoming a short order cook. Um, And it's, I like to say this being courteous without catering, meaning I will take your preferences into account. Like I know you don't like whatever, you know, let's just say I I don't like chicken and rice. I know you hate when we have chicken and rice. So I will maybe, you know, put some bread on the table or something I know you'll eat. So you won't feel like you're going to starve to death. But I like chicken and rice. And so we're going to have chicken and rice, you know, so it's just being courteous without catering every night. And again, keep it simple. These don't need to be, you know, fancy five course meals, even if it's just, you know, On Mondays, we eat cereal for dinner. On Tuesdays, we have spaghetti and meatballs. It doesn't need to be anything fancy. It's still, again, so that I can write that down and just have the answer to that question. Because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes that's like the worst question you can get. They're like, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? You're like, dude, I don't know. Right? It's the worst. Um, The other thing I say is just take all the help. You know, like I said, if if mom wants to cook dinner on Wednesdays, or you know somebody wants to help you out, I just feel like there's no shame in it. If if you have a shortcut, or you have a friend, or you have somebody that wants to help you out, take it. Uh, my next tip is get kids in the kitchen. So. Um, My kids at various ages have really loved being in the kitchen Um, and I love getting kids in the kitchen because I think it really does help them get an interest in food and cooking and it really helps with what I call food exposures. And food exposures can help a lot in terms of battling sort of those picky eating behaviors. For one thing, kids are definitely more likely to eat a food if they helped make it. Not always, I've definitely had things I've made with my kids and then they were like, this is awesome. And I was like, do you wanna try it? And they're like, no way. Um, But they're definitely more likely to at least give it a try if they've kind of invested some time in helping to make it. The other thing is, Um, making food actually is a really good chance especially for older kids to practice reading math and science skills so you know if if you give them a simple recipe to read or the back of a box of brownies they're reading those things following instructions Um, you know if you really think about half a cup I mean that's a concept that we don't think that much about but for a little kid learning half a cup one-fourth of a cup and to think why are two one-fourths one half like that doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it starts to introduce those early concepts and even explaining that to them. Then when they go to math class, they're like, oh, I get it. Um, And it is a practice that builds confidence and self-esteem. I think anytime that you've done anything with with your kid, it's fun. There's just not a lot of tangible things sometimes where you can put something together and say, I made this and feel really proud of it. I mean, I think even as an adult, there's not that many things that I look and I'm like, look, I made this, right? But in the kitchen you still can kind of get that experience. The other thing is, is you're really giving them a valuable life skill. So it's hard to think about that sometimes when they're little, but ultimately our job as parents is to like create functioning adults, right? In the end, they need to be able to take care of themselves. And so, Making sure that they're comfortable in the kitchen and actually have basic cooking skills means when they're out in the world, they'll be able, at least on a basic level, to cook and feed themselves. The other thing, too, is that honestly, It is quality time so if you're going to allow your kid to be in the kitchen helping you cook helping you prepare dinner it actually extends those benefits that we talked about with the family meals the conversations and all of those things also my kids are older so i really like to um include them in the dishwashing Um, so if you get them trained early on to it actually helps out quite a bit uh, in the long run um Number seven is to model healthy habits. And this one for me is always like, ugh, you know, I just wanna do something for my kid. I don't wanna change what I'm doing. Um, But the truth is that they're always watching you. So I like to use the phrase to treat yourself like someone that you are responsible for caring for. And recently I actually read an interesting um, article that was about how people are more likely to fill a prescription and give medicine to their dog than they are to themselves. And I thought that was crazy. Um, But the truth is is that a lot of us are a lot better at taking care of other people than we are at taking care of ourselves. Um, And the truth is that your kids want you around and they want you well, right? And when you're taking care of yourself, I think, deep down inside, we know we're taking care of other people better, too. Um, So I like to tell the story, too. I had to kind of learn this the hard way. When I had my oldest son, I was actually in residency as a pediatrician. And I don't know if you know much about residency, but in residency, you work these like crazy long hours. I was working like 80 hours a week. And then, you know, which was such a genius time to have a baby. Right. But So I was just exhausted. And so I was always tired and I was obsessed. I mean, I was a pediatrician, so I was obsessed with feeding my baby just the right way. And so for him, you know, I was like, oh, I'll cut you this fruit and you're having avocados and chicken and whatever. And I would eat like some smushed granola bar from the bottom of my purse or I would just, you know, drive through Burger King to reward myself for how hard I'd been working. And I, I mean, I I like all those things. I like granola bars. I like Burger King. But I really, I started to think, you know, I would probably feel a little bit better if I was taking better care of myself. And I actually told myself, why don't I just feed myself like I'm feeding my toddler? And so, you know, if he would eat little muffins, I would eat little muffins. If he would have a banana, I would have a banana. And it it was a little weird and it wasn't perfect, but it was still taking better care of myself. And it made me realize it really is true that, you know, if you really wanna take care of someone, you do have to take care of yourself. The other thing is, like I said, they are always watching. So if you want them to eat fruits and vegetables, you probably need to model fruits and vegetables in your diet. If you're always, you know, saying, I'm trying to lose weight, I'm dieting, you know, talking about not feeling good about your own body, they hear those things and they pick up on those things. Um, You know, if you're unwilling to try new things, they're going to mirror those same behaviors. So I always say fake it till you make it too. Like, you know, sometimes if it's just like, I'm just, I don't want to do these things, but I'm going to kind of fake it in front of my kid, it's still better. All right, so number eight was think about exposures and variety. So I said I was gonna talk specifically a lot about you know what exactly should your child's diet be. Number one, I, I truly believe most people kind of know the basics of that. And number two, I don't know that there's one right answer for that either. But I will say for everyone, variety is really the basis of a healthy diet. So if anything, just think, I would like to add more variety to my kid's diet. The other thing is I highly suggest adding good things in, not restricting. So the worst thing, I mean, like anyone, uh, no, no, diets don't work even for adults because they're all about restricting, right? So whatever you tell me, you know, if you're like, you can't have carbs or you can't eat chips, well, that's all I want now. Like, that's all I can think about. So why would you expect a kid to be any different? The minute you take away, you know, fire Cheetos, That kid is just gonna harass you for fire Cheetos, or they're gonna find them at their friend's house and they're gonna eat the whole bag. I guarantee it. So, you know what? I I really believe all foods can be part of a healthy diet. So, work on just adding in more food, you know, more fruits and vegetables, or more food, whatever food you'd like to see more of in your diet, just work on adding more. Um, And again, your job is to just offer a variety of healthy foods and not to make them eat it. And I think that that's important, too, because it takes the stress off of you. If you offered it, you did a good job, right? Remember, eating it was their job. So if they're doing a crappy job, that's on them. (laughs) Um, The other thing goes back to exposure. So again, like we talked about earlier, little brains really need to learn what is safe to eat. And so it can take several exposures. I mean, like Research will say like 15 or more exposures sometimes. And it depends on the kids. Some kids are more willing to try things than others. And some of that just has to do with personality. And um, But it can take several, so like years even. Um, but anything can count as exposure. So sometimes it's just seeing the food, touching the food, smelling the food. You know, choppy helping you chop it up. Some kids will just lick the food. It's weird but it's all progress. And so I always say, you know, you kind of just have to trust the process and play the long game because the more I try to force you to eat it, the more you're gonna fight it. The more you just see other people eating it, enjoying it, the more likely, even if it takes years, that you're gonna see that kid picking up. And I think most people know someone like that. You know, it's like for 15 years you hated tomatoes and then all of a sudden they just started eating tomatoes, right? um so number nine is a little bit more what we see um starting especially with our infants and it's to be what i call a responsive feeder and so when with the little kids especially it's about recognizing and responding to their hunger cues and their fullness cues so this is a lot Um, What you see, especially when you have a newborn baby, they'll talk about things like, you know, they'll start to bring their hand up to their mouth or kind of root around. And those are like what we see as hunger cues. And those are the times to try to, as quickly as possible, be responsive to those cues and feed them. Um, The other thing is to be responsive to their fullness cues. And I know sometimes that can be hard because as a parent, you're like, number one, you don't wanna waste breast milk or formula. I've definitely been in that, you know, it's like you get out and you're like, I don't want to waste this. The other thing is, is like sometimes it's like, I want you to eat a lot because I really want you to sleep for a long time, right? So I can get some sleep. But, you know, it's about noticing those cues. If they're turning away or kind of fighting the feedings, it is probably best to stop. And when you're being a responsive feeder and recognizing these cues and responding appropriately, it really does start those early um, processes of helping your kid to self-regulate their food intake. And this goes back again to them tuning into their hunger and fullness cues and realizing that they can trust those cues um, to tell them how much to eat. It leads to less fussiness, so if babies are being responded to quickly, that actually helps them build secure attachments with their caregivers, Um, and then it also... When we're just feeding them according to their hunger cues and fullness cues, it creates a situation where they're using food and feeding less to soothe themselves. And that, it's easy to extrapolate from that where we start to get into patterns as older kids and adults where we're comfort eating. So we also don't want it to be like, this is what we use every time my kid makes a peep because they start to associate like, this is how I comfort myself and calm myself down. And so again, this is something that is important all through life, but really specifically with infants, I think this is particularly pertinent. And number 10 is actually the same as the first, because I told you that I'm obsessed with family meals. And again, it does not need to be perfect. I always say it doesn't need to be perfect, it just needs to be pleasant. And so we're not gonna fight, we're just gonna focus on fun. We're not even gonna focus on the food. I'm a big believer that how you eat is actually much more important than what you eat. And the crazy part is that when you do this, you'll find that what you eat actually improves naturally and that it becomes much easier to improve what you eat in little increments when you have all that structure set in place. Um, Like I said, family can be defined in many ways, um, but for a family meal, it's really just you know, the child and their caregiver at least, and then whoever else, um, you know, you want to invite into the circle. Um, The one thing I will say too, especially as kids get older, you know, family meals is something that's free. It's available to everyone, but it isn't always easy because society doesn't privilege that for us. So if you want to make it happen, unfortunately, you're going to have to make it a priority and i hope you know with all of the things i mentioned at the beginning that you can see why that is so important because it's very common to have you know late work schedules late school schedules as kids get older you know practice and who knows what else and so make and it, the other thing is is that we often think of dinner time but it doesn't need to be dinner maybe breakfast works best for you it doesn't matter just look at your family and say you know when can we sit down together and I, and some is better than none it doesn't have to happen every night if this is something that you currently don't ever do, and a lot of families don't, I always say just start with one. Start with a birthday, start with a celebration. Maybe start with once a week. Say, you know, our week is too crazy, this is not gonna happen, but on Sundays, I think I can make this happen. Sunday breakfast, it doesn't matter. One is so much better than none. Um, And especially as your kids get older, you know, I think this is something that's so important for little kids, but it's something that I think continues to be important and possibly even get more important as they get older. Because for a lot of older kids, that might become like the only check-in that you have with them on a regular basis. And I really think that, you know, as we looked at the beginning and we said, you know, less substance use, less depression, less anxiety. I think part of that is just because you're checking in, you know, even if it's 15 minutes that it really takes to eat together, things don't get as out of hand because you've been monitoring all along and you can pick up earlier, I think something's off and intervene earlier. And so I really think that that is probably like where a lot of the magic happens. And so I also like to say, you know, dinner actually is a, or your meal is a ritual. It's something you do on a regular basis. And if you think about it, rituals really define who we are and who we are as a family. So I just want to leave you Um, with this one quote, and it kind of like, it always like gets me a little choked up when I think, and again, I apologize because I'm telling you, I'm a huge nerd about this family meal thing, (laughs) but there's this book by this woman, Miriam Weinstein, who wrote the surprising power of family meals. And I kind of abridged this, but she says it helps to imagine an ornate gold frame, pick it up, don't worry, it's only pretend and place it around the image that appears when you say supper at my house. Inside your imaginary frame, your table and the people around it come into focus, while the area beyond it falls away. And you can see everyone there, just as they are tonight and never will be again. And I don't know, like when I think about that, it's like, you know, it's something so simple that we think about, it's not a big deal. But if you think about it, you know, life is just a series of moments. And this is us right now, and this is our moment. So anyway, um, thank you so much. I. I um, hope you guys will check out our podcast, Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. Definitely um, check out my book when it comes out this spring. Okay, well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it.